My name is Stephen Elliott. I'll be reading from my new book, My Girlfriend Comes to the City and Beats Me Up. This is an es- a non-fiction essay titled Three Men and a Woman. Eden and I are in an art gallery that doubles as a dance club. The DJ stands in a sheet of plywood over milk crates, playing house music with a heavy bass line. It's still afternoon, but already there are a few office workers here loosening their ties, putting their earrings back in. With us is David. He and Eden have known each other 15 years since high school. He has flushed cheeks, feminine features, wears black jeans and a leather jacket. He helps Eden clean, shop, run chores, carries her things. Eden refers to David as her pockets. David refers to Eden as his girlfriend. Girlfriend, he feels, comes closest to summing up their relationship. I tell him I think he should use a paragraph, that a word isn't going to explain it, but what is probably bothering me more is that girlfriend is the term I've been using. She told me she doesn't like it, but I use it anyway, perhaps for the same reason David does. My paragraph would have to include that Eden is married, that there is a child at the house four days a week, that not only is she married, but she also has David, meaning there are three men in her life minimum, that what we have is not non-monogamy, it is polyamory, that I love her and that I think this could maybe work sometimes, and then other times I see nothing but a bunch of potholes, a couple of landmines, and a train wreck. The after-work crowd is trickling in. Button-ups have been replaced with undershirts. I talk with David and watch Eden dance. She kicks her legs, spins. She looks like a fighter in a ring, her dark hair pulled back, swinging her fists halfway, elbows bent. She's a very good dancer, but she looks best when she curves her back, as if she was dancing to something gothic, preparing to bite someone on the neck. Other times, she tilts at hard angles, keeping her body protected. Fish swim, David says. Birds fly. Eden dances. I have to dance with her, I say, before she dances with someone else. It's not a zero-sum game, he says. I don't even know what he means. He's trying to help me. I'm trying to understand him. Already there are three men dancing near her, all of them turned to show their availability. The day I met Eden's husband, I was crossing the bridge and called to say I would be there shortly. The bay was filled with tankers nosing into port and sailboats like pieces of paper. I was just rolling onto the span over Treasure Island, could already see the landfill, the abandoned military facilities. Eden said, okay, come over. You don't want to wait on the corner, I asked. What's wrong with corners, I thought. Corners are nice. You have to meet him eventually, she replied. They lived back from the street in a two-bedroom mud-colored bungalow. I was standing in the doorway when he stepped out of the kitchen. The meeting was awkward but not awful. Oh, he said as we shook hands. He was better looking than I expected, and three inches taller than I. He wore light jeans and a striped shirt. I was wearing a necklace, leather pants, and a sleeveless top. We both looked our roles the suburban father and the other man. I could hear Eden speaking with their son in the other room. Her husband and I made some small talk about his job, and then Eden and I were gone. I try not to question Eden's marriage or her situation with David. It's not my place to second-guess other people's desires. One evening I confessed that I didn't understand her relationship with her husband. She laughed. You don't even understand our relationship. Eden and I make each other CDs, see movies together, go shopping. We sit late into the night telling stories about our families. Eden's father kicked her out when she was 15. I left home when I was 13 and never went back. 
The truth is, this is the healthiest relationship I've ever had. When I tell her I am worried that between David, her husband, and her job, she won't have enough time for me, she says, tell me what you need to make this work. I see Eden about four days a week, and on days when I don't see her, we talk on the phone. She's negotiating with her husband for a night each week to spend in my apartment. She'd like to see a situation where I come over for big family events like Thanksgiving and New Year's, but none of us are ready for that. She and I have moved so quickly and had so many opportunities to fail. Eden says that my lack of relationship experience is usually a red flag for her. I say that being married is usually a red flag for me. Her husband is upset because having multiple sexual partners is one thing and falling in love is something else. She says this is the first time she's fallen in love since meeting her husband nine years ago. The music is louder, the room hotter, the crowd thickening in the club, all of us with hearts stamped on the inside of our wrists. I almost didn't show up one day, Eden says, resting her wrist on my shoulders. I panicked. If you hadn't showed up, I would have been so disappointed, I say. I would have called, she says. That wouldn't have helped. David sits while we dance. I wonder if he is not in some mirror for me. If he wasn't real, I would create him. I like David. I have a magazine in my bag, and I want to offer it to him. But it's too dark to read. I wonder how much of his life he spends watching Eden dance, her jacket next to him, her cigarette in his pocket. I ask myself if I could do what he's doing, if I could sit for hours and watch Eden dance with other people. The first answer that comes to mind is no. No, it's a waste of life. But the second answer is yes. Yes, if she wasn't going home to her husband, if she was going home with me, if we were going to sleep together, if I was going to lie next to her in my bed beneath her, if she was going home with me, I would wait all night. But she isn't. Not long ago, Eden came over to my apartment. She was late, and I looked from my window and saw a black car pause and then continue down the street. I thought it was her car, and I went downstairs. I thought maybe she couldn't find parking and would come back around, and I would get in, and we would drive together. But the car never came back, and I began to break. It was a weekend, and the sun was out. It was unbearably hot and bright enough to see all the broken glass, dirt, and old paint stains on the curb. By the time an hour had passed, my face was burning. And then she arrived, wearing a pat patterned summer skirt and a spaghetti-strapped top, carrying a heavy bag. I laughed when I took the bag from her. I thought I saw your car, I kept saying. But she'd just been stuck in a traffic jam on the bridge. She doesn't have a cell phone. She kept stroking my head, saying, You poor baby. I was inches away from crying. I pushed my face into her collar, gripped her tightly. Inside the club, we sit apart from David. He doesn't know where we are, but we're only ten feet away. Eden and I are exhausted from dancing. Our shirts are soaked. The club is full, and people climb around us, hiding their jackets below our bench and their sweaters on the ledge above. We're cushioned and surrounded by their clothing. One time, she said to me, I haven't placed any limits on you. You place limits on yourself. And to help, I've been reading a book about polyamory. The book recommends you own your decisions. No one can make you do anything. The important thing is not to get in a cycle of blame, the book says, but rather to inform your partner of your feelings. Most relationships are doomed anyway. It's their nature. I squeeze Eden's arms as she, as she turns, throwing her legs over mine. When I first met her, I was shocked by her raw physical beauty. I didn't think the fact that she was in an open marriage would affect me one way or the other. I wasn't thinking long term. I had no idea of Eden's capacity for affection. 
Some think that love is a finite resource, like food, that love given to one person is love taken from someone else. Others believe that the more you love, the more love you're capable of. It's what enables families to have more than one child. To make this work, I have to be clear about what my needs are. I'm going to be strong, I think, because if I'm not strong, I'm going to crack, and if I crack, I'm going to sink, and there's not going to be any returning to the surface. Outside, it's gotten cold. I peel my shirt off and replace it with three layers I brought for the bike ride home. Recently, a woman I've always liked who lives in New York confessed she'd like to tie me up next time I was in town. I asked Eden if it was okay, and she told me she was jealous. It was my first time suggesting another woman. I know it's hypocritical, Eden said. After five days, she decided it was fine, that it was probably even good for us. She said people who claim not to be jealous are fooling themselves. It's just what you do with it. I walked David and Eden to her car. They're going back across the bay where the giant grocery stores are. I'm staying here in a city where it's crowded. I've always lived in cities, and I've wondered if this city is even big enough, if there are enough people. I like crowds, diversity, opportunity. I kiss Eden at the overlit parking garage. The theater-goers insert bills and punch buttons on the bright yellowing machines. David lingers near the corner, one elbow on a newspaper box. I'm seeing her tomorrow in the evening. Tomorrow is Thursday and David will be there, and then I won't see her until Tuesday. Eden will be home soon, and I'll sleep alone tonight. I think about the long weekend looming as I bicycle past the hot neon sign south of Market. Too dark to see the potholes now. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to The Writer's Block and hear more stories, please visit www.kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.